0: EMP number thirteen. Welcome to the Taylor Merrick Podcast, the three in one podcast on finances, business, and technology. Podcasting to you from the studios of TaylorMerrick.com, located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Here's your host, Taylor Merrick. Welcome back to another week in the Taylor Merrick Podcast. You are listening to episode number 13. If you'd like to subscribe to this feed, you can do so by going out to TaylorMerrick.com and clicking on the podcast button, and from there you can subscribe. For free, in any player that you desire, if you want to listen to it on iTunes or any other player that you'd like, it is all for free. Unless, of course, you'd like the premium edition of the Taylor Merrick podcast, then that would cost money. But for the Taylor Merrick podcast itself, it is free for you to listen to. Today's episode is going to be the Cassandra poem, finally, for finances. For business, it is this idea put me back into selling. And for technology, it is Newsweek's top blogging software for 2006. So to get started into finances, we're finally getting on the Cassandra poem. I'm sure you've been wondering, waiting on your seat anxiously, what the Cassandra poem is and how it relates to America today. Well, the Cassandra poem was written by Edwin Arlington Robinson in 1917 and if you know your Greek mythology, the Cassandra of Greek mythology had warned the Trojans of their approaching defeat and had told them to beware especially of the Trojan horse. But the Trojans, who would not believe her, opened their gates to the horse and thus to their own destruction. They thought the Trojan horse was a gift to the goddess Ascina. What they expected would bring blessing brought a curse instead, for the soldiers concealed within the horse stole out at night to open the city gates so that the returning Greek army could destroy both the city and its people. This Cassandra poem gives a similar warning to the Americans. This poem was written in 1917, and... It goes, I heard one who said, Verily, what word have I for children here? Your dollar is your only word, the wrath of it your only fear. You build it altars tall enough to make you see, but you are blind. You cannot leave it long enough to look before you or behind. When reason beckons you to pause, you laugh and say that you know best, but what it is you know you keep as dark as ingots in a chest you laugh and answer we are young leave us now and let us grow not asking how much more of this will time endure or fate bestow because a few complacent years have made your peril of your pride think you that you are to go on forever pampered and untried what lost eclipse of history what becuviac of the marching stars has given the sign for you to see, millenniums, and last great wars. What unrecorded overthrow of all the world has ever known, or ever been, has made itself so plain to you and you alone? Your dollar, dove, and eagle make a trinity that even you rate higher than you rate yourselves. It pays, it flatters, and it's new. And though your fairy flesh and blood be what your eagle eats and drinks, You'll praise him for the best of birds, not knowing what the eagle thinks. The power is yours, but not the sight. You see not upon what you tread. You have the ages for your guide, but not the wisdom to be led. Think you to tread forever down the merciless old verities? And are you never to have eyes to see the world for what it is? Are you to pay for what you have with all you are? No other word we caught, but with the laughing crowd, moved on, none heeded, and few heard. And that is Cassandra poem. Now, how does it apply to America? Well, Edwin Arlington Robinson, he wrote this poem to give a similar warning to the Americans, and to beware the Trojan horse of materialism, but like the Trojans, Americans remain blind to their danger. They do not realize that the very thing they worship is actually feeding on them. When Cassandra asks, Are you to pay for what you have with all you are? They do not answer, for none heeded, and few are heard. How true that is to America today. And back into the beginning of it, where it says your dollar is your only word, that implies an allusion to the word in John one but Americans have replaced the spiritual word who is God with the dollar word and then also about the dollar dove and eagle make a trinity that even you rate higher than you rate yourselves well you if you know the trinity the trinity is God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and they're saying it's been replaced with dollar dove and eagle and also it's interesting to note it says the power is yours but not the sight. You see not upon what you tread. You have the ages for your guide, but not the wisdom to be led. You have history that repeats itself constantly. You have Greek history. You have Roman history. You have all this history back in the past to look upon to be your guide, yet you just... It's just blown off, and the poem Cassandra says... What recorded overthrow of all the world has ever known or ever been has made itself so plain to you and you alone? Well, it's going to be a pretty big overthrow if America keeps in the spirit of materialism. And this poem, the Cassandra of this poem, prophesies the destruction that materialism will bring to America. The poet, which is Edwin Arlington Robinson, makes Cassandra's words sound prophetic by having her say, Verily, what word have I for children here? She says that the dollar or materialism has replaced the word or religious faith in American society. The trinities, she says, that Americans have accepted as the dollar dove and eagle. She says that even though we have the experience of history to guide us, we are not wise enough to learn from past mistakes. She also asks whether Americans are willing to sacrifice the values they have held so dearly for the sake of materialism and and the poem is are you to pay for what you have with all you are well if you continue in the same way of wanting to accrue temporary treasures that will last here on earth and go into debt and be in the rat race that basically just answers the question are you to pay for what you have with all you are because of materialism if that's if you are only wanting money and materialistic things but if you have gone beyond that good for you get the word out start telling other people otherwise as this uh, poem implies oh there's going to be a big destruction of America and when was this cassandra poem written nineteen seventeen that is ninety years ago about around then and that was around ten years before the stock market crash maybe before the first one had a little bit of a dip But here it is this author makes this poem that's so relevant to america today and problem is materialism and if that is not dealt with then what an overthrow it will be quoting from the poem and that will wrap it up for finances for business it is this idea put me back into selling but before i get into it how are you doing on smiling to others the charge that i gave you last week to smile at somebody and see what response you get and track your progress through that. If you don't remember what that is, I'd invite you to listen back to episode number 12 in the business and try it out. If you have tried it out, let me know how you're doing with it. You can drop me an email, taylor at tayloramerica.com, or you can phone it in. One eight six six tmp 2860 and I'll compile the resources and I will let you know how it goes. Now for the business. And I am going to be reading from the book How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Selling from Frank Batcher. If you want to follow along and you have the book, this is starting from chapter 2, I am planning on going through it till chapter 4, but to get started in chapter 2, reading from the book. Looking back across the years, I am astounded how trivialities have changed the entire course of my life. As I have already said, after 10 miserable, disheartening months trying to sell life insurance, I gave up all hope of ever being able to sell anything. I resigned, and I spent several days answering want ads. I wanted a job as a shipping clerk, because as a boy I had worked for the American Radiator Company, hammering nails into crates and stenciling them for shipment. With my limited education, I thought I could qualify for that kind of work. But try as I did, I couldn't even get a job as a shipping clerk. I was not only discouraged, I was in the depths of despair. I figured that I'd have to go back to riding my bicycle and collecting installments for George Kelly's. My highest hope was to get my old job back at $18 a week. I'd left a fountain pen and pen knife and a few other personal things at the insurance company office. So one morning I went back to get them. I expected to be there only a few minutes, but while I was clearing out my desk, the president of the company, Mr. Walter Lamar Talbot, and all of the salesmen came into the bullpen to hold a meeting. I couldn't leave without embarrassment, so I sat there and listened to several salesmen make talks. The more they talked, the more discouraged I got. They were talking about things I knew I couldn't possibly do. Then I heard the President, Mr. Talbot, utter one sentence that has had a profound and lasting effect on my life for the past thirty-one years. That sentence was this. Gentlemen, after all, this business of selling narrows down to one thing just one thing seen the people show me any man of ordinary ability who will go out and earnestly tell his story to four or five people every day and I will show you a man who just can't help making good well that lifted me right out of my chair I would believe anything that mister Talbot said here was a man who had started working for the company when he was 11 years old worked his way through every department had actually been out in the street selling for several years he knew what he was talking about it was just as though the Sun had suddenly burst out from the clouds I made up my mind right then to take a look at his word I said to myself look here Frank Betcher, you've got two good legs you can go out and earnestly tell your story to four or five people every day so you're going to make good Mr. Talbot said so I was happy what a great relief came over me for I knew I was going to make good. That was just 10 weeks before the end of the year. I decided during that time to keep a record of the number of calls I made just to be sure that I did see at least four people every day. By keeping these records, I discovered that I could make a great many more calls. But I also discovered that to average seeing four people every day, week after week was a big job it made me realize how few people I really had been seeing previously during those ten weeks I sold fifty one thousand dollars of life insurance more than I had been able to sell during the entire previous ten months it wasn't much but it proved to me that Mr. Talbot knew what he was talking about I could sell then I became aware that my time was worth something and I determined in the future to waste as little of it as possible I didn't think it was necessary, however, to continue keeping records. From then on, for some reason, my sales fell off. A few months later, I found myself back in a big as rut as I had been before. One Saturday afternoon, I took myself back to the office, locked myself in a little conference room and sat down. For three hours, I sat there having it out with myself. What's the matter with me? Just what is wrong? There's only one conclusion. I finally narrowed it down to one thing. I had to admit it. I wasn't seeing the people. How am I gonna make myself see the people, I thought. I certainly have incentive enough. I need the money. I'm not lazy. Finally, I determined to go back to keeping records. One year later, I proudly stood up before our agency and enthusiastically told my story. I had secretly kept complete record of my calls for 12 months. They were accurate, for the figures were put down every day. I had made 1,849 calls. Out of those calls, I had interviewed 828 people, closed 65 sales, and my commission amounted to $4,251.82. How much was the call worse? I figured it out. Each call I had made netted me $2.30. Think of it. One year previously, I had been so discouraged that I resigned. Now, every call I made, regardless of whether I saw the man or not, put $2.30 down in my pocket. I never could find words to express the courage and face these records gave me. Later on, I will show how keeping records helped me organize myself so that I was at gradually able to increase the value of my calls from two dollars and thirty cents to nineteen dollars each how over a period of years i cut down my average of closing only one out of twenty nine to one out of twenty five then one out of twenty one out of ten and finally one out of three let me just give one example now the record showed that seventy percent of my sales were made on the first interview Twenty three per cent on the second, and seven per cent on the third and after. But listen to this fifty per cent of my time was spent going after the seven per cent. So why bother with the seven per cent? I thought. Why not put all my time on first and second interviews? That decision alone increased the value of each call from two dollars and eighty cents to four dollars and twenty seven cents. Without records, we have no way of knowing. What we are doing wrong. I can get more inspiration out of studying my own records than anything I can read in a magazine. Clay W. Hamlin, one of the world's greatest salesmen, has often inspired me as he has thousands of others. Clay told me he failed three times in selling before he began keeping records. You can't hit em if you don't swing at em, I found was just as true in selling as in baseball. When I played with the Cardinals, we had a right fielder named Steve Evans. Steve was a big, powerful fellow, built on the lines of Babe Ruth, and he could hit a ball almost as hard as a Babe. But Steve had a bad habit, the habit of waiting. He usually had two strikes called on him before he began swinging. I remember one important game in St. Louis. It was Steve's turn to bat in the ninth inning, with two out, and the bases full. Any kind of hit would have won the game. Steve picked out his favorite bat and started for the plate. Everybody yelled, Come on, Steve, hit that first ball. Taking his position at the gate, you could see Steve intended to slam that first one. The ball shot straight across the heart of the plate, but Evans never moved the bat off his shoulder. "Strike right one, roared the umpire. Come on, Steve, swing at that next ball, pleaded the players in a crowd. Steve dug his spikes deep again, the pitcher delivered one right through the middle. Again, Steve failed to swing. stu right two, bellowed the ump. Evans, screamed Roger Bresnahan, our manager from the third base coaching line. What are you waiting for? The first and fifteenth. what do you think? Steve yelled back in disgust. The first and fifteenth were paydays. Every time I see salesmen sitting around the office during selling hours, playing solitaire with prospect cards... I can see Steve Evans up there with his bat on his shoulder, letting the good ones go by, and they hear, breast the hand, yell, Evans, what are you waiting for? Selling is the easiest job in the world if you work it hard, but the hardest job in the world if you try to work it easy. You know, a good doctor doesn't treat the effects, he treats the cause. So let's get right down to the bottom of this proposition of selling you can't collect your commission until you make the sale you can't make the sale till you write the order you can't write the order till you have an interview and you can't have an interview till you make the call there's the whole thing in a nutshell there's the whole foundation of this business of selling Calls, from the book how i raised myself from failure to success in selling and i would encourage you also to take records records show what you're doing wrong and you can also get inspiration out of checking it record your calls, how many calls you make, how many calls are closed and what your commission is if you're on a commission and then find out how much you make per call or per interview and then uh, track records that show how many interviews you do and so on and so forth and I'm sure you will find what's going wrong and how to improve it and what you should do to increase your sales. And that will wrap it up for business. What it is going to be for next week is one thing I did that helped me destroy the biggest enemy I ever had to face. And now we move on to technology. For Newsweek's top blogging software of 2006, it is. WordPress. WordPress is the top blogging software. I will have a link out to this on the site so you can go there and you can see it, but the reason they did that is because WordPress is the most widely used and it is in a way easier to do. I run mine on WordPress and it works excellent for what I need. Now, if you are interested in WordPress and you don't know what it is and you want to get interested in blogging or podcasting, I would encourage you to go to WordPress.org and it will tell you all about what WordPress is and all that. And if you already have a blog, for some of you, you have WordPress.com. But if you would like a free blog, you can go to WordPress.com and you can sign up and you can start blogging from there. I know some of you have some WordPress blogs already and are going good. And for those of you that are interested in WordPress or for those of you that are already members of WordPress and know what WordPress is, I would encourage you to listen to a podcast called The WordPress Podcast, and here is a promo For this podcast. Hey, everybody, I'm Charles Strickland from the WordPress Podcast. If you're a WordPress user, you owe it to yourself to keep up with the latest news and information about WordPress plugins, themes, and widgets, as well as whatever juicy rumors are making their way around the blogosphere. No matter what your skill level is, we'll keep you up to date on the WordPress community. Drop by WordPressPodcast.org and subscribe. Alright, now if you go to wordpresspodcast.org, you will find out all about the new happenings of what's going on in WordPress, and if you're new to WordPress, you'll get educated in it pretty quickly, that and by going to wordpress.org and reading some information up on there. And that will wrap it up for technology. I'd like to thank each and every one of you for listening and taking the time to listen to episode 13 of the Taylor America podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or topic ideas, call toll-free 1-866-BMP-2860 and your question will be answered live on the show. I'm Taylor Mary, and I will see you next week.